This episode is dedicated to the memory of Steve Lytle. All right, Greg, so that moves us on to issue two. So we left off issue number one, of course. We just saw that Snagglepuss was implicated by a wonderful Gigi Allen. Yep. He was uh, getting getting put on the list. Well, we don't know that yet. Well, okay, not on the list yet, but he's, he's up to be um, under investigation. Snagglepuss is going to take the fall for all of those commies, and we're going to make sure we get them. Mm. She needs a, a big... A big hit. Yeah, so you've heard of the Red Scare, right? Yes. How much have you heard about the Lavender Scare? Um, I tell me, tell me more. Well, Inquiry see, minds want to know. The Lavender Scare was when Ray Cohn, who I mentioned a little bit earlier in, in the podcast, and McCarthy. They couldn't find enough reds or communists in government because they looked around and there just weren't that many there. So they decided to go after gay men under the justification that gay men were a security risk because they could be bribed because America was so anti-gay people that people didn't want to be exposed. So they trumped up the idea that that gay men could be a security risk. Ah. And in some respects, gay men could be, but mostly just because of the bigotry and hatred of people in society. Okay. It's nice, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, what do we call that in debate? That's a slippery slope? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's not a the best argument. Yeah, it's definitely a fallacy, <laughs> but I mean, the whole red scare was a fallacy. So yeah. the lavender scare was also, but it also the fact that Ray Cohn, who prosecuted the Rosenbergs and also was a big part of the McCarthy era, uh, was a well-known homosexual. And there are comments by senators and Congress folks that acknowledge that. And they, in fact, some of them are pretty bigoted comments that acknowledge that. Interesting. He so also slept goes, with lots of men. I, like male prostitutes and lots of different men. So he's going, this is a, his story is one of a, a very, takes a dark turn. Yeah, well, he he was, you know, going after gay men while being openly homosexual. And then there are, uh, I wouldn't say unsubstantiated, but a lot of rumors, too, that Joe McCarthy may have also been gay. That I've also heard. And I know, I think he was only married for like f- the last four years of his life, maybe, or so. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I. Yeah, but again... I, I have trouble with those rumors too. If they're not well substantiated, mm-hmm. I've read some accounts that believe they're pretty well substantiated and others that aren't like, I was pretty offended when people were trying to quote unquote out Lindsey Graham, like the whole lady Lindsey Graham thing, because I have pretty strong feelings about not outing people that don't want to be outed, especially if they're not 
you know, choosing to share that with others because mm-hmm. your sexuality is your personal choice. So even if you were outing somebody who say, I might not think is a great person like Lindsey Graham, I didn't think that was, was, was appropriate. Weaponizing it isn't weaponizing sexuality is never a good thing. <laughs> right. No matter what side you're on. Right. Yeah. And so I, I don't think, I don't think because one side does it, that means it's okay for the other side to do mm-hmm. just because they hate that person. Yeah. So there's, there's some of that. And I think the reason you kind of bring this up before we get into this story too, is there's a lot of, of those types of themes that appear in issue two. So let's go ahead and get started. We've got another, what I think is great cover. Oh yeah. This is, this is fantastic. And so we have the, of course, background is the poster for the play that's out right now. Uh, mm-hmm. That we just referenced in story number one, and then a nice little smoking jacket there, mm-hmm. and Snagglepuss uh, in front of it, and the alt cover too, which is kind of great on the DC app. They give you the alt covers, and I really like the alt cover too. It's sort of a, a kind of a nod to the Raven, I think. So pretty neat. I hear you clicking through there. So now we get to the first page and. <laughs> I love it because it's so 1950s. We've got a giant map and yeah. a big chunk of the world is red. Yeah. If she only knew. If that, she only knew. If and she only she says, knew. Now that China be. has gone red, the communists outnumber the free world two to one. You cannot possibly win if we have to fight them abroad and at home. It'd be much more redder in the future. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're kind of looking at the world here or, you know, just maybe we came to our senses. But anyway, it's looking at the world here and we've got a bunch of people reading a report. They're sitting around a table and, of course, got some ashtrays here because it's 1950s and Gigi Allen is not happy with with what's going on. And so you get a nice question from one of the folks there. And he says, so what does this have to do with me? I'm not making Das Capital, the musical we're in show business, not politics. And she's talking about to a bunch of, of producers and she's basically, they flip to a picture that I can only say like, looks so completely like 1950s nuclear testing or reminds me of the Daisy commercial uh, put out by Lyndon Johnson. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> where there's no art basically that can stand up to a nuclear holocaust is, mm-hmm. is where she's at and so she's like this is a showdown between our two nations is inevitable like any gunfight it will be won by whoever draws first fastest and most decisively so we need to have the hydrogen bomb and we need to have more nuclear weapons than those guys and we need to escalate and we need to be ready for the Ruskies got it got it just going to war by any means necessary. Yeah. So, and she's defending the beautiful white uh, family with one and a half, or is it two and a half kids? Looks like uh, we've got the, we've got an ode to the uh, classic, classic American art piece, American Gothic here. Mm-hmm. Farm family. And then we have what looks like a male person wearing a, Pantsuit doesn't look like a dress. Uh, yeah, pantsuit and heels uh, passed out. And, and of course, that's according to Gigi Allen. Nice pearls. Yeah, I like it. And she said, we can't lose the war. 
here to these perverts and junkies who pollute your plays and movies. And she says, we are now in show business, which truer words weren't said because they harmed the the HUAC and McCarthyism harmed show business, right? Like mm-hmm. limiting what could be produced, limiting stories, but also they're putting on their own play, right? Because as they dug in, as we're talking about the Lavender Scare and the Red Scare, they're, these the vast communist conspiracy didn't really exist. And McCarthy would walk around with his list of names and the list of names didn't really have communists on it. Yeah, it was just... Just people. (laughs) Yeah, it was a a different threat. It was a different kind of threat. Just using fear to to push his agenda. And so as they're creating their political, quote unquote, political theater, right, with their committee hearings Mm -hmm. and their blustering. Yeah, I I think Gigi Allen is right. They are in show business. Yeah. You get people watching and paying attention to the news or the media that you're producing and that you're making uh, relevant and important, uh, i.e. these trials and or these uh, executions and other things like that, uh, keeping them uh, waiting on bated breath for for each and every name that's going to be released or uh, whatever they can or can't watch or see, um, then you're, as a society, is going to, to want to know. It's not like we're not living in that currently right now in the last year with a global pandemic or elections or anything else. (laughs) Nah, there's nothing going on. Nothing that we can draw a line to at all. So the good news is we flip the page and we get an Augie Doggy appearance. Augie Doggy. But no Doggy Daddy. No. But we do have Augie Doggy being introduced to Peter Potamus by... By Snagglepuss, Snagglepuss. And he's bringing him in as a young playwright to help mentor him, similar to the way that he felt that the group mentored him and his relationship with Lillian Hellman and kind of carrying it through. And then, but Peter Potamus is not happy. Things are insane. The, the stage hands went on strike and Marion won't come out of his dressing room. Yep. It's just kind of all hell in a handbasket. Hell in a handbasket. And then we get there and Peter is on the floor and he's not going to do anything. And so, yeah, everything just seems to be going a little bit crazy. So they call it a snow day and they decide not to do anything on this day as everything's going crazy. Yeah. Got to. But he is saying that the character doesn't seem believable all of a sudden, even though he's played the character several times. Yes. (laughs) So now we get a flip to what it looks like a hospital. Yeah, it looks like a hospital to me. Um, but it's home for the old and friendless. Yes. Which. Well, that's fun. Sounds super sad. Yeah. So we go to a nursing like the home. Airport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the governor of New York. Oh, but the airport my. Is named after, perhaps. Oh, wow. And then they have a giant picture of a clown. (laughs) Well, they're trying to make people happy. And we all know that clowns make people happy, Greg. This is true. Or I'm well aware of this as one myself. I I know. (laughs) 
make people very happy. We try. We try. We, we try. So we get some crazy stuff. Somebody's saying, help me, help me. Uh, somebody's wanting a chocolate shake. And in there, Snagglepuss goes to a specific room, room 6F. And the guy asks him if he's from the church. And he says he's done with Methodists. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out if that a nod to just Methodists or a nod to method acting as well. Like it, it probably has a little bit of a double meaning there. Could be. Could be. And a of, uh, of course, Snagglepuss being from the South says he was done with that once he learned to open a beer with his teeth. And so he lights up his cigarette and he just talks about the fact that he left his rehearsal for his new play. So it was a new play. A new one. Not the one and we've been seeing. <laughs> not the one we've been seeing. So maybe okay. that's why Marion was so upset about oh. his new role. And now sense. we've got, he said, uh, the guy he's interacting with who we don't know his name yet. He says, my son joined the theater, you know, instead of doing something useful with his life. Ah. And he says, well, it keeps you in loafers and cigarettes. Oh, well, you know, that's good. So perhaps it's his dad? I don't know. I I had to say, Snagglepuss's outfit, he he looks like in this panel, looks like Fred from look I mean, he looks like Fred from Scooby Doo. Yeah, I could see yeah. that. Yeah. The outfit just or Mr. Howell. <laughs> yeah, well, whoever this guy was, he's not super happy about uh the the theater yeah no and he's got a noose next to him but he said he was a judge oh okay Whew. i thought he was looking for a way out so snagglepuss leaves and he hears uh squidly diddly singing to all the old people yeah. hey and they're throwing friend. things at him yeah as they and do but Snagglepuss recognizes great talent, and so he brings him in. And he tells him to keep singing. And then we get a flash scene to the next uh, that night. And there is Huckleberry Hound in a very stained uh, T-shirt. And now to open the tail, the tinfoil gates to paradise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. It's good. Yeah, it's pretty wonderful. Uh, and he's got his his TV dinner there. We've all seen the classic one. Uh, the peas and carrots are, are phenomenal. And we've got poor Huckleberry Hound here just sitting there uh, forlorn over his TV dinner. But a knock happens at the door. And what do we see? Snagglepuss. Yeah. And is that is that Marion or is that Pablo? I, I think it's Marion. Okay. It could be Pablo. I can't tell. They both look. Oh, no, I think it's Marion. Okay. Doesn't have his dog face on. Yeah, it's hard to tell without his dog face who he is. So we flip the page and Snagglepuss directly finally asks Huckleberry Hound why he showed up in New York to hang out. And he discloses that his wife, Henrietta, hired a private investigator to follow him, found out he was having an affair. 
And of course, he lives in the South. So Henrietta Hound took their child and told him to never return again. And he says, since he's been wandering the land that day, he's been wandering the land like an unclean spirit, never staying in the same town two nights in a row, too embarrassed to give a voice to my shame. He says he lost everything, Henrietta Huck Jr., and 40 years of life in ashes. And now to open the tinfoil gates of paradise. That's right. Everybody's favorite, the beautiful TV dinner with the peas and carrots. Ha. <sighs> Loved that, didn't you? When you were a kid, oh, yeah. I like you get the you get the peas and carrots in in their like kind of buttery mixture, and and then the the chicken. And uh, is that is that like a was that like a pie or something? No, he says it's peach cobbler. So, oh, well, that's yeah. delicious. That sounds delicious. And and there's poor Huckleberry Hound sitting there with his TV dinner, a really stained uh, T-shirt. And he gets a knock at the door. And who's there? It is none other than Snagglepuss. Yeah. And I think, is that Marion or Pablo? I, I believe it's Marion. Uh, I can't tell without the dog face on his face, but I, I, I want to say it is, it's Marion. Because Pablo, I think, yeah, it's it's got to be Marion. Well, and so then we get, uh, we get a, we get a quite the story here started out with Huckleberry Hound being directly confronted with by Snagglepuss about why he's in New York. And so he starts to tell his story and the idea he, where he lived, his wife, Henrietta Hound hired a private detective to investigate him because she suspected him of having an affair. And he was with another man and uh-huh. she tells him to leave and never come back. And, and then he is, he is, yeah, he's shamed. <laughs> well, and he lived in the South. And of course, as you know, in lots of the United States at that time, being gay was illegal. Mm-hmm. So if you were caught being gay, you could be arrested. And so the investigator has pictures of him kissing his lover. And I assume presumably doing other things, which they could threaten him with. Mm-hmm. So he's now not staying anywhere for more than two nights in a row and he is crushed. He's lost everything. We've got a writer who spent 40 years of his life there writing and, and having a family and well, he basically loses it all because he chooses to love certain people. Great. Yeah. And uh, he's got now he comes, he's got a city now that's large enough to ignore him. That kind of classic piece where you're the city, New York is so such a big place with so many people that you're actually lonely because there's so many people there that don't know each other. You can just disappear into the crowd. Yeah, sort of blend in into the mass. Then he he doing here he's walking down the the boardwalk yeah he's they're out on the pier and uh, they're out in New York City and they ask uh, him what he's doing and he walks up to this man and he asks him if he wants him to join him for the evening and the guy punches him in the face and uh, 
you've got Snagglepuss saying that was like a watching a parachute fail to open. They go to see. What happened? And so Huckleberry Hound tries to hit on another man, and apparently the guy is not interested, so he punches him in the face. Always a great response to when other people approach you. Yeah. It seems like the default for some people. <laughs> yeah. I think the default for a lot of people. So now we're getting things moved forward in the story, and Huckleberry mentions that he's a fool. And that he swore he would never let Huck Jr. grow up without a father, but, you know, that the loneliness is killing him. And I guess it was Pablo because uh, SP says Pablo and him uh, found a great place in the village. So I was wrong. Yep. So why don't you uh, join us sometime and they move forward. So they go to get some pie and there they walk in and there's Lillian Hellman. Uh, drinking some coffee by herself. So Snagglepuss goes over to see him or see her. And I was looking at the producer down there. That's clearly a stereotypical male producer writing letters and throwing them away. And then looks very satisfied because he sent Lillian Hellman a rejection letter that just says, and I guess he was probably trying to figure out how to say it because he couldn't say your play was bad and he couldn't say your story was bad. He just had to say, we're sorry to inform you. We cannot produce your projects at this time. That's it. Mm -hmm. So very happy that he figured out how to word it in a way that doesn't say that she had a great story or a bad story. Cause he couldn't say that. Right. You could only say, we just can't do this. Yeah. We can't do it. Which I think makes it worse. Have you ever gotten a letter like that? That was like, we can't do your project but it didn't really have like, it wasn't that your project was bad or there was any sort of reason. Have a you rejection ever run form letter? anything like that? Yeah. <laughs> a, a quote unquote rejection form letter. Yeah. Um, I have a drawer of them <laughs> like many other writers and creators <laughs> that, that try to work in any type of creative industry. It happens quite often, but not under the same kind of um, reasoning that I'm sure that Lillian Hellman is dealing with in this story. Yeah. And the interesting one here is we get a letter that says we are soppery to inform you. S O P R R Y. And <laughs> she points out that the same misspelling exists in all these rejection letters. Uh, so she's getting a form letter that was clearly written by probably the government to send out to all these people that were blacklisted. Which totally fits the bill. Great. So during that time. <laughs> and she says the first time they call you in to testify, it's to see if you'll play ball. The second time it's to ruin you and says goodbye. And so now we see uh, Snagglepuss and he's heading into the Algonquin hotel and with a letter and there sits the very scary looking Gigi Allen. Yeah. Very, very scary looking. And she greets him and says, first of all, I wanted to assure you that we have no desire to destroy your plays. 
Well, that's always nice to tell to tell somebody that they have no desire to do the thing that you're going to do <laughs> to make them feel comfortable. And I, I love the fact that uh, Snagglepuss says there's no no need really. They do a perfectly good job of destroying themselves. So, <laughs> making He's fun. Honest. But she calls him America's greatest playwright and she's hoping uh, to recruit him to their cause. Um, to provide more names or to to <laughs> produce yeah, well, plays in their in their liking? Well, it's look like she's going to try to win him over first, probably to call in folks names, but, or, you know, probably to write a few plays. And she's in a culture war, right? And they're oh, yeah. in show business. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, she says, hey, we need your help. Um, we need you to write plays to inspire Americans to turn us into a nation of fighters and believers. Again, the Soviet Union has the hydrogen bomb now. A confrontation is in, and he has no interest in capitulating. Um, nope. So not one bit. <laughs> basically, he's not going to help out. And he's asking, you know, she says, he says, you're asking me for my pen and that I cannot give. And she says, why not? Because that's all I have. Makes sense. I mean, you know, you're. You're telling you're it's it's give give us everything that you have or give it up. <laughs> and then they get into the next day and they're back on set and we see that Snaggle Post has hired Squidly Diddly to be his new stage manager. And uh, <laughs> Peter Potamus asks him if he's a religious man. He says no. He says, Good, you're hired. And now wants to get the Queen of France to come out of his dressing room to act. And so we find out that this new play is going on. And we have another flashback to the dog's life. And we got Huckleberry saying a dog's life must account for uh, to more than what fits in his suitcase. I suppose I'm a victim of my youth as we all are. And he's got an adorable, looks like puppy Huckleberry yeah. uh, being sold as a puppy. And now it flashes back to the new play that's being produced. It seems to be based on Huckleberry's life, even though Snagglepuss had just learned about a lot of it. Maybe he always knew. Yeah, and he was just waiting for his friend to admit it. I mean, I can see that, right? Like that certainly happens. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you just you just know things, and you know. But that would be weird, though, if he had written this whole entire play about about Huckleberry Hound, and then Huckleberry Hound shows up, and he's like, "Oh crap, I wrote this whole entire play about you." Yeah, well, and that may have actually happened. It's sort of <laughs> the way that this is falling through, right? Because Huckleberry's yeah. in the apartment, and here. Uh, Mary and the actor is is acting this out. Yeah. So now we get this here and you see the actor collapse and he says that will do nicely regarding Marion's performance. Mm -hmm. And then we show up with a letter for for Snagglepuss. He's very excited about his new play. And then he gets the letter. Snagglepuss, you are hereby ordered to appear before the House Committee on Un-American Activities as of December 20th, 1953. You're entitled to have legal representation present present at this hearing. First appearance. 
of Huac. Well, that's not the first appearance. Well, no, no, but I mean, he, yeah. it, like like Lillian said, your first yeah. your your first appearance is when they to see if you'll name names, yeah, play ball, and, then... and your second appearance. So it's first appearance. Yeah. So before we close this one out, I, I do want to mention there is a backup story that Greg and I aren't going to cover. Uh, Sasquatch Detective. I will say it is it is fun. It did bring the levity that I needed uh, after reading the exit stage left story, main story. But uh, um, it's it's definitely I, I I understand why they they dropped this in there for for folks because you need a, a little bit of a palate cleanse um, after reading such a, a deep deep story such as this. Yeah, I I have mixed feelings about Sasquatch Detective. I mean, I it didn't seem like it fit uh, with this. And that maybe this was a six issue series, so I didn't do a page count, but maybe this series could have gone to four issues instead of six. Huh. So I, I was buying Sasquatch Detective in addition to the story I wanted to buy. <laughs> so it was interesting. But hey, I'm glad that another creator got to get something put out into a major comic book company. So happy for that. I mean, you say we're not going to talk about it, but we're talking about it. (laughs) So let's move on uh, to wrap up issue two. So we get to the end of issue two and we're now dead in the middle of HUAC and you were anxious to find out what's, next but you're gonna be too because we're gonna stop here <gasps> dun, dun, it's, a, dun. it's a cliffhanger what will it, happen to snagglepuss what will happen will what he will play ball to will, he Hound? will he come out of his apartment I don't know I guess you ought to find out when we come uh, back on the next episode of funny, of book, funny forensics. book forensics <laughs> Whoa, we almost did that in unison. That was amazing. And it's the funniest thing that happened on this podcast. Yeah, I know, right? Well, I mean, just like Sasquatch Detective tried, we uh, we tried to bring a little bit of levity to, to bring people up at the end of the episode. But as much as we're saying don't don't let our don't let us dissuade you, it's a serious topic and it's a great story. And we would love for you to read it right along with us. So If you haven't started, go ahead and read the first couple of issues and then Mm -hmm. keep reading and go ahead and read all six. And Greg and I will keep bringing you our discussion of this, these books. Yeah. And if you haven't, if you haven't delved into the history of, of McCarthyism, uh, Red Scare, uh, Huac and other things like that, please, you know, do a little, little research, follow along find out some stuff. Uh, there's some great documentaries and stuff like that. Fill your time up with some of those things uh, while you're waiting. And uh, then you be part of the discussion, you know, hit us up on social media, uh, send us some, some, some uh, tweets or uh, Facebook messages or whatever. And uh, let us know what you're thinking. And let us know how you're doing. And of course, you know, we've got the other shows on with us in the spoiler verse. So Go ahead and check them out as well. And with that, we're going to finish up here. So thank you for listening to this episode of Funny Book Forensics. All right, I am back. 
Let's go back, 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 back. It's in that weird view mode where it like views each like section of the panel. Uh, I'm going. Okay. All right. And huh? Yes, puppy dogs. Huh. Okay.